Hello and welcome to the podcast equivalent of a nice cup of tea in a bedroom recording studio in 1994. If you weren't there, we're faithfully recreating it for you. I'm Giles and this is Stephen, my dearly beloved brother. And back in the 1990s, we recorded and wrote a shed load of music in a failed attempt to make it into the underground music scene. Now we're unearthing forgotten songs for your pleasure in a heroic act of self-mythologization and therapy. This, my friends, are Johnny Domino. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us for another delve back into our own musical backwaters as we go further into our own belly button and talk about music that very few people have ever heard. So I'm Giles and that's Stephen. We are trying to make a best of mixtape while we're wading through our large collection of tapes and as we're doing it, it seems to be that we are scratching the surface of memories of our 20-something minds, which is kind of interesting as well. Yes. It was a pivotal period for most people, and it was for us as well. And we we had a possibly somewhat out-of-the-ordinary type of social life in that we, we surrounded ourselves with people who were obsessed with music as well, so oftentimes at the weekend or on a Friday night, we kind of form a band for the night and we record songs. We did go to the pub, we did go outside, we did talk to other people. However, part of our social life was, oh, come round our house, the house is empty, let's write and record a song, the band's called this, what sort of music do they do? And that would yeah, be what, what we did. And that's kind of what we tried to do with Johnny Domino. We'd been in regular bands before this period the name johnny domino is kind of self-sabotaging because it's like you know let's call our band a name that sounds like a solo singer i think the point was we were listening to a lot of country music at this time i think one of the thoughts behind johnny domino was we wanted to form a joke country yeah, band yeah. and it sounds like a country singer sort of anyway the song that we're going to listen to first is not very country is it not at all. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh, 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 bloody, what does he look like? Away. We've got a 
so that was New Pink Shirt by Johnny Domino. We really didn't have any access to a bass guitar. I recorded all the music again in another spot before I had to go to work, I guess, half an hour before I had to go to work. Just had the two guitar tracks, and then we added the drums later on. It's me on the floor playing literal drums on the floor, mm. Tom and the snare. Yeah. It's all just a bit too much, and you're doing the percussion. Yeah, yeah. I just really like it, and I like the fact we've got that quote from Hank yeah. at the start of it as well. That works really nicely. It does, doesn't it? Did you choose that because it fitted in with the lyrics? Yeah. It's one of my um, favourite episodes. It's called The Poetry Society. Yeah. And Hancock is trying to wheedle his way into a very artistic, avant-garde poetry society. And Bill, who is the Australian character from Hancock, gets into it automatically just by writing poems called Hick Hack Hock, I Am Mauve, and things like that. And it's a, it's uh, a great yeah. episode. Oh, that sounds good. And I remember the way we managed to get it to go right up to the start of the intro is because I had to record it backwards. Ludicrous. The things you had to do in the days before samplers, get it to fit really snugly, I recorded it backwards. Oh, wow. So you turn the tape over? Yeah, turn the tape over and turn the tape over on the Hancock and just fed it in backwards. (laughs) That is bonk, isn't it? Things you do. It was like really hard work, wasn't it, to do stuff like that? Yeah, I know, but it was worth it. And you kind of felt like you'd achieved something afterwards. Yeah. Kids yeah. today, oh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know they're born. Mm. And we didn't even have a bass. It sounds quite bassy. I think I must have spent a bit of time, I think I faffed around with the, the tone and tried to make it sound as bassy as possible. I always really liked it as a song because mm. it, um, it's, it's like really direct, you know? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's like... Uh, it's kind of self-contained, and that sounds a bit pretentious, but it's not like trying to be anything else, I think. It, like some of the songs that I think we recorded or did, we had like a real sort of self-conscious plan of like, oh, we want it to be like this or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, this one, it just kind of, it, was, it, it sort of came out. And I could sort of hear like references and stuff in there, but it just sounds a bit more natural. Mm. Yeah, I always liked it. I've always thought it was a pretty decent one, actually. And I like yeah. that recording. Again, it's 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 not too polished. No, no. People actually did quite like this song. And I can kind of listen back now. I can kind of understand why. So tell us the story about how people liked it, Steve. Well, I mean, at this time, we did actually have an awareness that we were doing something that was actually quite good. So we uh, certainly by this point, we did start sending tapes off to fanzines and record labels. Some record labels wrote back and said, not for us. And some people just didn't write back to us. Through our friend Brian, who we've mentioned in a previous episode, he was very plugged into the fanzine scene and the indie pop underground. And he was at college, a different college, with a guy called Tom Cox at that point. He was writing fanzines and getting into music, and they shared a lot of tapes. Tom went on to become a journalist, a music journalist, and writer for The Guardian and various publications. I think he wrote for The Enemy as well. And he's now gone on to write a number of excellent books, and I'll put a link to his stuff in the show notes. Now, we picked up a fanzine that Tom had put out, and we sent a tape to him. And now he'd heard some of our stuff previously and he wasn't that impressed. 
But he listened to this and he really liked this this tape that we sent and this track was on it and he really liked this song. Mm. And we met up with him and we talked a lot about music and we met him in the pub a couple of times. Mm. I can't remember why, but he was doing something, whether he was researching a piece about Chemical Underground and the Delgados, but he was up in Glasgow and he'd obviously taken this tape and he played this song in particular to the guys from the Delgados. And this is my memory. Uh, in my mind, they really, really liked that song. Mm-hmm. And then the, shortly afterwards, they were doing the gig in Derby and we said we were going to go to it. So Tom said, oh, I'll tell the guys from Delgados to look out for you. I think he must have said, you're looking for two men with dark hair and glasses. They basically look the same as each other. Mm. But to this day, Alan and Stuart from the Delgados are the only people who've ever said to us, excuse me, are you Johnny Domino? That's yeah. the, they're the only people who've ever said that to us, and I quite like that. That's like, that's like one of the high points, really. <laughs> but they were lovely. I remember we like talked to them before their set, and I think we caught up with them afterwards as well, and they were just really nice. We gave them a tape of some stuff that we'd been doing because I think by this period when we saw them, maybe formed at Johnny Domino as a band as opposed to a home recording project. And we didn't sound anything like this song. And then we didn't really hear from them. They they played in Derby again, maybe a year or so after this, and they asked for us to support them, which was very nice of them. And we did a gig and we supported them. And again, they were lovely. And we recorded our first proper Johnny Domino album and we sent it to them and we didn't hear from them. And that's cool. But again, it's the recurring theme of us snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. You know, we, if, we, if we just stayed on doing cute little songs recorded at home, like New Pink Shirt, maybe we would have found a way into doing something who knows yeah, it's true it's weird though isn't it because you sort of find that you find a kind of a niche that is mm-hmm. quite good and then you don't always exploit it mm-hmm. and i think sometimes i don't know i think we kind of overcomplicated things i think bands sometimes overcomplicate things so like new pink shirt uh um the lyrics i quite like the lyrics as well mm-hmm. um i think there's some quite funny lines in it Mm. if people want to go back and listen to it again. But there's a bit about a little bag of grass, which is yes. meant, to be done, meant to be done in a sort of a Manchester accent, mm. referring to um, a drug dealer that I, uh, I knew. <laughs> there's <laughs> a theme that's arising of, of your bad accents. Because I, ne- I never got Manchester from that. The pink shirt, and it is about an actual pink shirt because I did actually get a pink shirt. It's not like a, you a know, metaphorical it's not shirt. a metaphorical pink shirt because I actually did have a pink shirt and that's what I was writing the song about. Okay. But it's also about how the pink shirt made me feel. It's about the attitude that I felt. And it's interesting, like, you know, when you put on an item of clothing, sometimes it can make you feel very differently. And that's what, that's kind of what I was thinking about, really. Because I do, you know, I've 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 got a sh- I bought a shirt from Oxfam the other day, and it and I put it on, and it made me feel feel quite cool. There you go, excellent. And it, and it's got some pink in it as well. This new one that I got from Oxfam. So I've got a new I have got a new new pink shirt now. Wow! And now we're talking about it. You yeah. blow my mind. 
another thing to say about that song when we did turn into a proper band having the bass on it was just too much didn't need any bass in the end if you could only lend us your bass well don't lend us your bass because you'll ruin the song turned out having some bass on it is not a good thing keep your bass thank just, you very much you keep your bass we'll we'll, we'll carry on just like banging on the floor do. tom yeah and uh playing two guitars thank you that's all i can say about new pink shirt uh, i liked right. it it was a good one shall we go elsewhere mm. you selected new pink shirt you got in there first and you also selected this next one which is from summer of 1994 and it was probably our least successful period as in you know it wasn't successful i'm talking about the success of our recordings you, you mean artistically I mean? successful in retrospect yeah we just bought a new four track it was a tascam 424 mark ii and I bought it from an advert in Sound on Sound, and it came with a set of headphones and a microphone. And it was brilliant. And everything sounded great on it. And then we set about recording a batch of songs. It's not our best work as a group of songs. I did spend quite a lot of time playing um, Street Fighter. Okay. I'm just going to mention that. I did play uh, on the summer. I was playing Street Fighter quite a lot um, on, a, on a SNES. And uh, my favourite character was Ken. Ah, good old Ken. There you go. Yeah. I was kind of staying indoors in a slightly different way. I was listening to a lot of really miserable music. I was listening to the Red House Painters and Codeine. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I think we should listen to it because it's one... You've got no memory of it, have you? Un unlike New Pink Shirt, which I have listened to a few times in the, in the, you know, in the preceding years because it was, a, you know, I always remembered it being quite a good one. Mm. This is one that I've not really listened to. So let's see if there's a reason why. Thank you. 
that's bringing the mood down. Oh, it's heavy, isn't it? Oh, it's heavy. Doesn't <laughs> Like, I think I was actually playing a proper drum kit. There's got to be. I'm playing the bass drum and yeah. like a cymbal and and the snare. Well, that's interesting because I don't remember us having a proper drum kit. So where did you get that from? We did a lot of recording with our friends, so a lot of equipment was left in our house. The thing is, I was always crap at playing a proper drum kit. Maybe I was playing the floor, Tom. Who knows? I've yeah. got. I can't remember. The only thing I remember is taking the drums into the bathroom. Okay, that's all I can remember. The first instrument I learned how to play was the piano rather than the guitar. Um, so I'm really showing all the uh, the benefits mm. of the years and years of practice. Mm. That was a, that was an actual piano, and yeah. I think the guitar sound is where the whole song came from. I was listening to Neil Young probably for the first time in my life at this point, and I was quite into like these really gnarly guitar mm. sounds mm. that he used to have. And so it's uh, the other day I was listening to, there's a documentary about Fleetwood Mac's Tusk album. Mm. And they were talking about when they were recording the engineer for Lindsay Buckingham, yeah. he would set up his guitar sound for him and get it really sounding beautiful and pristine. And for Tusk, Lindsay Buckingham would come and say, right, that sounds great. Can you turn everything 180 degrees the opposite direction? Because <laughs> he, he wanted everything to sound like shit. And right. Obviously, I had no concept of Tusk and, and what they did on that album at that point. But I, Were you deliberately trying to make a bad sounding guitar? It was like. Not a bad sound, just a bit ugly, but it's a shame it takes three minutes of that song to get to the nice instrumental bit in the middle. Mm. You have to get through these really ponderous, downbeat verses and you kind of whispering into the microphone and, yeah. and doing the glottal stop in the first line. Because you what say, you did you have to beat me at Street Fighter? Oh, yeah. It's like you Lily Allen. Oh, <laughs> years yeah. And years beforehand. It's really strange. Oh, that's weird. Me trying to do a Lily Allen. Mm, yeah. I mean, I had lived in London for a bit, but me and the voices thing again, you know, me and the weird accents. Street Fighter. Play Street Fighter. Yes. I don't know. I mean, we were never going to be a band that played this kind of music. Right. Mm. This was, this was, you know, this was like an experiment to see if we could make this a song that was like the sort of music that you were into at the time, wasn't it? Really, I think I was desperate for us to be a serious band. I wanted to be seen as a serious artiste and yeah. to record things that would make people, oh my god, this is the most devastatingly bleak and heartbreaking song of all time. I think I had a sort of a desire to be like that, even yeah. though I wasn't that person. You know, none of us were that person. We all loved Bitch Magnet and Codeine mm. and we loved Slint, but we weren't those sorts of people. Not musically, anyway. No, no, but you know what I mean? We didn't have the, uh, not emotional depth, because we were, you know, we were very sensitive young men, which is why we listened we to this were. music. But when we sort of hung out, we took the piss out of each other. Yeah, but I'm sure I'm pretty sure they had fun as well though. I mean, you know, when I don't know, I watched that Slint documentary yeah. and they were having a laugh with their mates yeah. as well. That's why That's I quite one, enjoyed yeah. it, right? But they I guess they must have found their thing that was very much like 
this is the music that we're all into and this is what we want to kind of go for. Mm. And they kind of went for it wholeheartedly. Whereas I think we kind of experiment with lots of different things. And listening back to it now, this is like a cul-de-sac on the road of us kind of finding stuff out musically that we were doing. It didn't really go anywhere. I don't think we did. We did all those miserable songs, but yeah, I don't think we did anything that was like so clearly kind of like in this kind of wheelhouse yeah yeah no i don't really like listening to that kind of music anymore to be honest no i i listen to some of it probably out of all of it i listen to slim but certainly not i'm not really into kind of bitch magnet and things like that no it's just it's just not going back to a clothing metaphor it was something that didn't quite fit i know i agree I agree. I quite like the quirky aspects of Slint rather than mm. the kind of miserable bits. And yeah, and I can't listen to Bitch Magnet anymore. It's just sludgy. Yeah. And terrible name for a band. I don't think there's anything to gain talking about that song anymore. No. You know what we should do? I think we should listen to what John Shortworth would describe as a fun track. This is quite an early song and... It was part of the whole joke country band vibe. We recorded this one probably Christmas 93-94. And we recorded it with our good friends Albert, who we've mentioned previously, and our good friend John. And it's a fun try, and it's called Potential Bong. Uh, 
psychedelic middle section. Oh, yeah. recording I would say you see we, we we made our own fun right there we did, we did. that was good I enjoyed that that was, that was, I, that was a good listen to that and we you could tell we're having a real laugh there yeah. and, uh, and I remember it um, I do remember it like yesterday actually weirdly I do remember what it what it was like recording that and the lyrics are based on real stuff we were talking beforehand and we we had a bit of a difference of opinion because I thought you were writing about somebody I went to university with and you say you wrote it about somebody you went to university with. So let's hear your story. Uh, yeah, it, it was. It was about somebody on my course and he was a Scottish guy uh, who had a very, I'm not going to tell you his name, but he had a very Scottish name. But he had a kind of a nickname which he adopted as well. We called him Jimmy Jewell. Mm. Now, Jimmy Jewell was very, very into smoking, smoking hash. Yeah. And he did make it the center of him. Yeah. And his identity. And it was unfortunate, really, how an otherwise pleasurable pastime it, with some people can become almost like a job of work. Yeah. And and it, and it certainly did with, with old Jimmy. Mm. And I do wonder what happened to him, actually. I hope he's all right. Because he was a nice chap, really. But I think he was at that point in his life. I think he was a little bit, perhaps, too obsessed with, 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 with smoking uh, marijuana and cannabis, right? Okay. In various forms, and he did have a girlfriend that did work to keep his fridge full, and he did look for literally any device and 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 anything in his house, and he would often just pick it up and go, "Oh, I could turn this into a bong," <laughs> you know, anything, literally anything. His mind was always searching for possible potential bongs in any situation. Uh, he was a creative guy, you know. You met him, didn't you? I met him once. He seemed all right, and his girlfriend was very nice. She was. I do say in the song that she wasn't that beautiful, and I apologise for that. I apologise for that line. When I went to university, I ended up living with a bunch of students who were on a basically a pharmacology course and you know people who are on that kind of course are 
shall we say, recreationally, chemically inclined. Mm. And one of them was a guy who had a bong which he made, which he called Einstein. And this bong was built on a Liebig condenser that he'd liberated from kind of a a laboratory somewhere, like a college laboratory. Mm. For anyone who remembers, a Liebig condenser is a large, very long glass tube into which you feed cold water and the internal chamber where you have your smoke slash gas passing mm. through is called. So Einstein was the bomb. Wow. And I kind wow. of thought that, that, was, that was about that. Was it very efficient? It was potentially too efficient. Mm. People would sometimes on their first, and how much of this remains in the podcast, I don't know. But people who were having their first experience of Einstein would get a little bit carried away and think, oh, this is brilliant. It's not hurting my throat at all. And then they would basically just be comatose for several hours. Well, that's all right, Steve. You were in the room, but you didn't inhale, right? No, I I was very much the Clinton of the group, yeah. Yeah, That's George, not Bill. Yeah, (laughs) George. But you, um, you did, you did touch on the story that you forgot you had a beard that time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there were, there were, there were, there were moments. The, 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 I've been thinking about that since you said it. Yeah, you, the, the day Steve forgot he had a beard. Yeah, mm. that's good. That's good. I think you should grow a beard again. No. So anyway, you know, to conclude. Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and um, don't make it the centre of you. Well, anything, you shouldn't make it the centre of you, I guess. No, exactly, you shouldn't, right? You know, you've got to keep keep your interests broad, you know? I've, I've, I would like to just say hi and thank you uh, to John and Albert for helping us record that song. Albert's on the guitar, John's on the drums. It's good. It's just people in a room together playing around yeah, it was literally one microphone in the middle of the room as far as i can tell but it's, it it did capture something what i do not know but it captured something it did we are at the end of the podcast mm. and we've listened to our free songs and now we need to decide which if any of them are going to be included in our purely theoretical best of mixtape and I have enjoyed all of the songs um, today. Uh, I, I did notice that for the first time ever, we didn't actually get through the whole of uh, Street Fire in this podcast. We mm. cut it, and then we didn't even play the end. So I think that might that might tell a story in whether that one's going to get included. I enjoyed listening to it with you, but it doesn't feel like it fits. Then again, at this period, I, I would probably make a tape for somebody and put loads of Red House painters and coding on it. So what do I know about making a tape? Yeah. And like, you know, I think um, the one that is uh, makes me feel kind of happiest um, is Potential Bong, really, mm. because uh, it reminds me of being with friends and stuff and you yeah. just having fun. Mm-hmm. But the one that is probably the most musically pleasing is pretty obviously new pink shirt yeah so i don't know well, are you gonna have to decide you're gonna have to call it for me steve i'm afraid well i think what we'll do is we'll put new pink shirt on um second track side one of the tape and then if you've got space at the end of the the second side 
we'll put a uh, potential bong. That's a good compromise. That's, That's the only way I, I can call it because they both have merits. It depends who you're making the tape for. If it's the, yeah. again, if it's the first week at college, you're trying to say, "Hey, this is the music I like." You go in new pink shirt. If it's you know a couple of years down the line, you hey, this song's funny. You're going to go potential yeah. bong. Potential bong, exactly. So we're going to cheat a little bit. We're going to have both of them on, right? And nobody says we can't because it's our podcast, right? <laughs> Who's listening? Exactly. So screw it. Yeah, it's for our own benefit. Thank you for listening, everybody. It's been a nice one, Steve. I've enjoyed this morning, or is it afternoon? What a time is it? Oh, it's, uh, anyway, I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed talking to you today. Yeah. Yes, just today. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for joining us again. If you're a new listener, thank you very much. Where did you find this podcast? If you do enjoy what we're doing, please like, follow, and subscribe wherever you are listening. If you know anybody who would get anything out of this podcast, please share it with them. Maybe you have somebody who you were friends with at college or at university, and you used to talk in the pub and you'd sit and smoke and you'd drink and talk for hours about music, and maybe you've kind of lost touch with them. You're probably friends on Facebook and you occasionally wish them a happy birthday and they do the same for you. And you occasionally look at photos of their families. They look at photos of your family. And you kind of maintain that sort of adult connection, which doesn't really connect. But, you know, it feels okay at the moment. It feels safe. But you think, I know, I'm going to get in touch with that person. I'm going to share this podcast with them. So you drop them an email and say, you've got to listen to this podcast. It's these two guys talking about the music of Johnny Domino. They're these guys, and they just recorded songs in their bedroom years and years ago. And no one ever heard the songs, but it's kind of like that lo-fi stuff we used to listen to. And they go, oh, yeah, you used to listen to that all the time, all that stuff that was really badly recorded. I hated that. What I was into, I was into the Cranberries, but you never paid any attention to the music that I was listening to. And they go, this is why we don't talk to each other anymore. And then you block them. 